Welcome to my mommy's podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Vivos. This is something we recently invested in for our entire family, and we are absolutely loving it. And here's why. So data shows that the nutrition we receive in utero determines our palate development and how narrow or open our airway and jaw structure are. So a narrow mouth, jaw, and airway increase the chances of needing braces, of getting sleep apnea, breathing difficulties, and much more. But it was pretty much assumed that your jaw structure was set in stone once you were born or for sure after the first couple of years of life. But Vivos has found that not only is this not true, but they've created a non-invasive, non-surgical, easy way of widening the maxilla, the jaw, and the airway. So for our kids, this means that they get to avoid the braces that my husband and I both had. And for my husband, this means that his sleep apnea has disappeared and he stopped snoring, which is a bonus for me. I'll be writing more about this soon, but you can check them out in the meantime at wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash vivos, V-I-V-O-S, wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash vivos. This podcast is brought to you by Beekeepers Naturals. Humans have been benefiting from bees and their nourishing superfoods since prehistoric times. From Cleopatra using honey to keep her youthful glow, to Hippocrates prescribing propolis to cure everything from sores to bacterial infection, our healing relationship with bees goes way back. Beekeepers Naturals is dedicated to bringing the age-old benefits of bee products into modern times, and they offer really high-quality propolis, royal jelly, bee pollen, and raw honey, with many other products, and all of these are sustainably sourced from a company that's dedicated to protecting and improving the bee population. My personal favorites are their propolis spray, which helped me to head off a scratchy throat, and their bee elixir mix, which is a mixture of all of those ingredients, and it's a natural nootropic that I use on busy days. You can check them out at wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash beekeepers, all one word, wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash beekeepers. Hello and welcome to the Healthy Moms Podcast. I'm Katie from wellnessmama.com and I am here today with Dr. Christopher Centeno, who is an international expert and specialist in regenerative medicine. Man, I cannot talk today, Um, especially with the use of stem cells in orthopedics. And I'm really fascinated to learn from him today because this is a really emerging area and I think it can help a lot of people. He is board certified in physical medicine as well as rehabilitation and in pain management through the American Board of physical medicine and rehabilitation. He's also one of the few physicians in the world with the extensive experience in what he does, which is the use of adult stem cells to treat orthopedic injuries. So like I said, it's not something I know a lot about, but it's something I'm really interested in learning about and I can't wait to jump in. So welcome, Dr. Christopher. Thanks for being here. Oh, thanks so much, Katie, for for talking to me and uh, asking questions about this interesting area. Okay, so for sure, I think to start, let's um, start with some background. So um, I know a lot of people may not be familiar with this kind of regenerative medicine. I know I wasn't. So um, I understand the concept that you're using adult stem cells to help recovery from injury. Uh, at least that's as far as I understand. But can you take us from the beginning, kind of what your research has been in and, and what you're doing? Yeah, so we take stem cells from the same patient. So this is nothing to do with embryonic or fetal stem cells or anything like that. So these are uh, stem cells from your body, and they're either isolated and then re-injected in a specific spot where we're trying to promote the body to repair itself, or 
another option is to grow the cells to bigger numbers over a number of weeks. If we need more, then we can uh, take out it in one sitting. Uh, so that's generally it. You know, the real focus is to try to replace the need for much more invasive surgery with a very precise injection to prompt your body to heal. So that's that's pretty much the 30,000-foot view. Okay. So to make sure, to kind of give a practical example, my sister-in-law years ago had, uh, she tore her ACL and uh, her meniscus, I think. And of course they did surgery. That was the common treatment. Are you saying this would be basically an alternative to that or it would be used in conjunction with that? You know, for most patients, uh, an alternative. For some patients used in conjunction with. So as an example, right now, if uh, about 70% of the patients that tear their ACL or tear their meniscus, we can inject stem cells precisely into the ACL, as an example, and three months later come back, uh, take another MRI, and show that the ACL has healed inside the knee and no longer needs to be yanked out and replaced. Wow, that's amazing. So is the mechanism by which this is happening, basically the stem cells are causing this regeneration in the tissue itself? Yeah, that seems to be what's happening. I mean, one of the, one of the more uh, fascinating things we've seen with ACLs is that, again, about 7 out of 10 of the ones that are currently operated on really don't need to have any surgery. They just need a little help in, in healing. And we do that, again, through a precise injection. And then the cells uh, seem to prompt a regeneration of the tissue and again, on follow-up MRIs, these, many of these ACLs uh, later look normal, and then functionally they do well. Um, you know, the patients go back to doing everything they want to do, physical exam, normalizes, et cetera. So it's pretty, pretty amazing stuff, but it, it really is pretty precise work. It took us about three years to figure out how to get the stem cells in all the right spots. Gotcha. So how do you get the stem cells and then re-inject them? I've heard that there's a couple different methods of this and that yours is different in a very specific way that makes it unique. Yeah. So, you know, most of the folks that, well, we were the first people on earth to do any kind of stem cell orthopedic work in patients. So that was way back in 2005. And more recently, there's been some docs who have been starting to do some of this kind of work Obviously, we've got a huge head start. And one of the things we realized early on, um, especially with this application and, and with others, is that you have to get the cells in very precise places or this doesn't work out so well for most patients. And so for us, uh, for the ACL that's using real-time x-ray guidance uh, where we can place them in both bands of the ACL. The ACL has two bands. Uh, there's a top and a bottom portion of each one of those bands. So the cells have to get evenly distributed throughout both those bands for this to really maximize the likelihood that it's going to heal. Okay, that makes sense. So for the ACL, that's uh, one use. What are some of the other areas that you guys are using these types of stem cells for recovery? Uh, rotator cuff tears is a big one right now. So we're seeing a lot, again, about seven out of 10 patients who are currently getting orthopedic surgery to sew together a rotator cuff tear who, who bypass the surgery and instead just get a precise injection of stem cells. And that one's under ultrasound guidance. Um, other areas include uh, meniscus tears, um, knee osteoarthritis, um, hip osteoarthritis, uh, bulging discs, et cetera. So quite a broad uh, number of areas through the years that we've uh, 
treated and kind of perfected um, over, you know, at this juncture, I think we're, we're tracking about 10,000 stem cell treated patients in our registry going back to 2005, so 12 years. That's impressive. So they say you're a stem cell expert and that kind of circling back to your bio right now, but so you've been doing this research for how many years? I know this has been a very long process and um, I'd love to hear kind of your research history and, and how you do- originally started delving into this. Yeah, I got into this whole thing because in 2004, 13 years ago, there was a, a research paper that published that showed that you could inject stem cells into a rabbit disc and kind of make a new disc. And that was really interesting to me. So I got together with some university researchers locally here who were using stem cells to treat uh, basically athletic horses, mostly racehorses, but other types of athletic horses. Uh, They were interested in treating joints. At the time, we were interested in treating spines. They didn't know much about treating spines, but they they knew about treating joints so that we kind of put our heads together. We spent about two years just doing research only in treating patients. the spines took another couple of years to figure out, but the joints started doing well. And so we started then uh, working with some actual patients and treating their joints with, with stem cells. And then that led to a whole slew of publications. I think we have about 25 different uh, publications now in this area uh, where we've done research in lots of different things. Again, shoulder, rigid cuff tears, ACLs, knee arthritis hip arthritis, low back disc bulges, uh, et cetera. But again, our main focus is trying to help patients avoid more invasive orthopedic surgery because the more recent research is is really showing that that surgery sometimes doesn't work out so well for the patient. Yeah, I know people have had that experience with kind of continued problems after the surgery. Is it helpful for people who maybe still are having recurring problems even though they've had surgery? Yeah, you know, a good number of patients that we see as an example are folks that have had, let's say, a meniscus surgery and it seemed for a tear, it seemed to work for a little while, maybe a year or two, but then they tore the meniscus again or the pain comes back or they're starting to get arthritis. That's a very common type of patient we'll see. Uh, or a patient with a prior, you know, back surgery and, you know, again, it, it did better for a while, but, but now it's starting to get bad again. That, those are all very common things. Okay. And you mentioned the spine when you were talking about your research. Is this something that either now or maybe in the future will have the potential to help with spinal recovery and even like more serious spinal injuries, do you think? You know, our focus has really been on orthopedic uh, things like a disc bulge or sciatica or back pain or or neck pain Um, has not been as much on treating spinal cord injury, although there are a number of different studies treating spinal cord injury. Uh, not our area of expertise, but there are a number of folks doing that work. Well, that's exciting research as well. So um, if someone maybe has had these kind of injuries in the past or a lot of moms listening, these could have you know children with these injuries in high school. I know I had three friends on my soccer team all tear their ACLs in one year. Um, are, these, are there limitations on who can and can't receive this kind of treatment or um, people who may be contraindicated or who can receive this kind of treatment? Yeah, so for ACL tears, we have a candidacy algorithm that we have put together, meaning uh, it has to do with some measurements we do on the MRI, has to do with what the ACL looks like after it's torn. And again, that's about seven out of 10 people who currently get surgery we can treat. You know, the biggest thing I think I would tell moms is, is listen, 
you know, we need to stop treating our kids like NFL athletes, meaning that, you know, we've treated a lot of NFL athletes. And I can tell you that, you know, they're in a different world. You know, they're, they're trying to eke out another $5 million contract extension. So they don't really necessarily care what's going to happen five or 10 years down the road, because five, 10 years down the road, they're not going to be playing. But we see a lot of families that are treating their, their 12 and 13 and 14 and 15 and 16 year olds like NFL athletes. They're getting very aggressive surgeries when it's, it's really not necessary. And especially these days when all these other options are, are available. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, I agree. I've seen this kind of transition. Like when I was a kid, we still just played, you know, baseball in the cul-de-sac. And now it's these kids are being pushed extremely hard. And that's a great point that maybe it's would be easier just to relax on the kids a little rather than be having to develop all these treatments for kids in orthopedics. Yeah, I, I mean, certainly, you know, my biggest concern that I, that I, or the biggest thing that I see is just that, you know, we'll see as an example, just to give an example of one research study they just did a couple of years ago. So if you get an ACL surgery uh, as a teenager, uh, there's a two in three chance by the time you're 30 that you'll have knee arthritis. So it gives you some, some idea of what we're really dealing with here with regard to, to treating some of these kids very uh, aggressively with, with surgery. And I think you're right. A lot of that is because there's a lot of pressure to get this kid back to playing right now when maybe we should, should say, oh, you know, let's take a year off. Let's, let's see where that goes. Yeah, I think that's really stage advice. And so I'd love to kind of go a little bit deeper into the science of this and help give people kind of a broader understanding. So the the word stem cell gets used a lot, especially now there's a lot of, it seems to be a lot of emerging research. But for anyone who's maybe not familiar, can you define specifically like what a stem cell is, especially in your area of expertise? Yeah. So a stem cell is, is merely a cell. In this case, we're talking about adult stem cells that live in your body. And the purpose of that cell is really to repair tissue. So, um, you know, you can think of these cells as the maintenance men of your body. They're, they're there to, to keep you healthy. If you didn't have any stem cells in your body, literally your body would eventually fall apart because when you go out and go for a workout or you beat up some of the cartilage in your knee because uh, you tweaked it or you ran too hard, all of those things are repaired by stem cells in those tissues or stem cells elsewhere in the body. So all, all we're doing is taking and concentrating those healing cells in a specific spot and bringing more of them to bear at that area than your body can naturally muster. Okay. So what are some areas like in the body that naturally have stem cells? Like do those decline as we get older? Or I know from, I've done a lot of research in, for instance, oral health, and I know the periodontal ligament is a, a pretty rich source of stem cells, even into like the 60s and 70s. Is that true in other areas of the body as well? It is. So uh, the bone marrow is a rich source of stem cells. Uh, adipose tissue or fat is a rich uh, source of stem cells. And really, there's probably not a tissue in the body that doesn't have some stem cell or what's called progenitor cell population. I mean, pretty much everything from muscle to bone to tendon to ligament to cartilage, um, you know, all of those things have natural stem cell populations that live in them or right around them. That makes sense. So you guys are essentially just isolating those and then using a concentrated amount of them in a specific place to kind of improve the healing response, basically? Exactly. Okay. 
Got it. So um, what what is the richest source or what are you guys using? You mentioned there's a lot of different places in the body. Where do you guys typically find the best stem cells? Yeah, our focus for orthopedics is primarily uh, bone marrow. So what we'll do is uh, we'll numb up the back of the hip and we'll take, uh, once it's numbed up, we'll take what looks like a thick needle. Uh, we'll draw out what looks like thick blood. It's called bone marrow aspirate. And that's that's really where we get our Stem cells. You can also get some of them from fat as well, and there are times that uh, we'll we'll use that source. Um, and then the number of well, the number of stem cells do decrease as you age. What's interesting in our research is we haven't seen uh, a, a an age dependent outcome drop. Meaning, you know, we don't see that a thirty year old does better than a seventy year old. So. Uh, if the stem cell population is going down, it's not going down enough where we're seeing big drops in outcome in older people. That's really fascinating because I know at least there's a perception that, you know, kids tend to have, or that at least they heal more quickly and that they have more stem cells, or at least I've heard that said. And I don't know if it's actually true, but that's really fascinating that even older people are able to recover like that then. Yeah. And it's true that, that kids do have more stem cells and that our natural repair processes get slower as we age, but realize in this procedure, we're, we're hyper-concentrating those cells um, and putting them back in an, in an area. Um, so, you know, let's say the number of stem cells in a given area dropped by 10 as you went from 20 to 70, meaning a factor of 10. If we can put 10 times the number of cells back in that same spot, we can give you much better regenerative capabilities in that one area. Okay, got it. This podcast is brought to you by Vivos. This is something we recently invested in for our entire family and we are absolutely loving it. And here's why. So data shows that the nutrition we receive in utero determines our palate development and how narrow or open our airway and jaw structure are. So a narrow mouth, jaw, and airway increase the chances of needing braces, of getting sleep apnea, breathing difficulties, and much more. But it was pretty much assumed that your jaw structure was set in stone once you were born or for sure after the first couple of years of life. But Vivos has found that not only is this not true, but they've created a non-invasive, non-surgical, easy way of widening the maxilla, the jaw, and the airway. So for our kids, this means that they get to avoid the braces that my husband and I both had. And for my husband, this means that his sleep apnea has disappeared and he stopped snoring, which is a bonus for me. I'll be writing more about these soon, but you can check them out in the meantime at wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash vivos, V-I-V-O-S, wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash vivos. This podcast is brought to you by Beekeepers Naturals. Humans have been benefiting from bees and their nourishing superfoods since prehistoric times. From Cleopatra using honey to keep her youthful glow, to Hippocrates prescribing propolis to cure everything from sores to bacterial infection, our healing relationship with bees goes way back. Beekeepers Naturals is dedicated to bringing the age-old benefits of bee products into modern times, and they offer really high-quality propolis, royal jelly, bee pollen, and raw honey, with many other products, and all of these are sustainably sourced from a company that's dedicated to protecting and improving the bee population. My personal favorites are their propolis spray, which helped me to head off a scratchy throat, and their bee elixir mix, which is a mixture of all of those ingredients, and it's a natural nootropic that I use on busy days. You can check them out at wellnessmama.com forward slash go 
forward slash beekeepers, all one word, wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash beekeepers. So I'm curious how this either differs or is similar to things like platelet-rich plasma or fiber-rich plasma. We have a friend who's a dentist who uses both of those in like, um, after extracting a tooth, he'll pack it with platelet-rich fibers, I believe, um, or fiber-rich plasma. I think that's what it is. And he'll pack it and it does, they don't get dry sockets and they heal much more quickly. Is this a similar technology or is it different from what you do? Yeah, uh, pretty similar. Platelet-rich plasma is taking someone's platelets uh, which have healing growth factors in them. And those growth factors kind of act like espresso shots for the cells, meaning they kind of ramp up repair in the, in the local cells. Um, and so you're just concentrating those platelets in blood. So you can also coagulate that, in which case it becomes platelet-rich fibrin. And uh, either one of those can be used uh, in dentistry or surgery. In fact, uh, PRP was really first used in dentistry, meaning that the, the specialty that has the longest history of using PRP is dentistry. So what we're doing is a similar thing, and we use a lot of PRP in many of these orthopedic injections as well uh, to try to help tissue heal. So stem cells is just a little beyond that in their ability to help things heal. So for most patients, PRP really works very well to heal the area. And it's only some patients that we use stem cells uh, in over PRP. Okay. And I know a lot of moms are listening and a lot of uh, are still in the phase of life of having children. And they, um, there's always a lot of pressure, especially if you have a baby in a hospital to bank the cord blood. And they talk about stem cells being there. Is there. Are there stem cells in the cord blood that can be banked? And if so, can those be used in this way? Or would that probably not be worth it to save those? Yeah, that's a tough one because... Um, so umbilical cord blood does have a stem cell type called hematopoietic stem cell that really, really is focused on making new blood cells. Now, the Wharton's jelly within the umbilical cord does have some what's called mesenchymal stem cells. So if they're saving the whole cord, then there are probably more useful cells than if they're saving just the cord blood. And the other problem there is really regulatory, and that is the FDA currently doesn't allow those cells to be used for anything other than blood cancers in kids. Um, so those cells could be released to be used for a blood cancer uh, in your child, but at least right now there is no other approved use, so there's no other way to use those cells. So it's a little bit like buying an insurance policy that's only going to pay off in one rare medical condition and can't be used in any other condition. Okay, that, that makes a lot of sense. So if, um, if someone chose not to do that and their child developed something that they needed stem cells for, could they get them in the same way that you guys do from bone marrow or from another source? Yeah, in particular, obviously kids are going to have very rich adult stem cells and very active adult stem cells. So you know, I think that if, you're, if your child, obviously in the rare instance that your child will develop a pediatric blood cancer, that's an extremely rare thing, these cells could be used. But I would say, you know, if you were trying to uh, not spend that money on banking the court, I think that would probably be money well saved because I think it's unlikely that you'll be able to use those stem cells and your kid's got enough stem cells on board to, to really cure lots of things anyway. That's helpful to know. So back to the orthopedic side, if um, do you, is this a is this treatment widely available at this point, or do you see this as something that can eventually change the way that orthopedic medicine is practiced? 
Um, yeah, it's becoming more widely available. When we started in 2005, we're the only people on Earth doing this work. You know, by 2010, there were maybe 20 or so doctors that were doing it. By 2014, there were maybe uh, 100 that were doing it. And, and this year, you know, we're seeing several hundred physicians starting to get into to using this type of treatment. Uh, we formed a nonprofit called the Interventional Orthopedics Foundation. And the focus there is to train doctors how to do this stuff correctly and do it well. And so, you know, we're, we're currently training physicians how to do this. But I think it's going to change things in a big way, because right now, if you, if you think about it, I mean, if we're right, about 70% of all existing orthopedic surgeries could be replaced by a precise injection that's less invasive, it gets you back to sports or whatever you want to do. Uh, much more quickly, that's going to really shake things up. And obviously, there'll be some winners and losers and all of that. But I, I think it's going to be a very disruptive technology. Is it covered by insurance at this point? Or is it something you hope in the future will be covered by insurance? Yeah, so right now, um, we are working with multiple large self-insured companies uh, to get this uh, covered. So as an example, um, uh, if you're in the Midwest, there's a huge grocery store chain called Hy-V. 85,000 employees, uh, high V employees have this covered under their health insurance right now, as do about 20 other companies that we've worked with. So we're going large self-insured company, uh, you know, by large self-insured company to get this covered, and we hope to have much broader coverage for it going forward. In the meantime, most patients, for most patients, this is not a pocket procedure, but we're working on that actively. Okay, got it. Um, is it so? Say, for instance, someone listening, maybe their husband or their child, or they have an injury of some kind that could be helped by stem cells. Are there places they can go if they're willing to pay out of pocket, even right now, to try that option first? Yeah, you know, we have a website, uh, regenex.com. So it's R E G E N E X X.com. It has a find a provider page, and those are providers that we've handpicked and, and trained extensively. And we have about 45 or 50 of those around the country right now, including uh, a number in, in other countries, in, uh, including Australia and India and Europe. Uh, and we're bringing on new providers uh, every day. For us, the big thing is making sure that they're trained how to do this correctly, and, and that takes a little time. Okay. And so also for someone listening, if there's anyone who they or their husband or a doctor um, that does orthopedic medicine, they could find information on your website about learning more about doing that themselves? They could, and we have an entire uh, a c entire series of courses that covers 85 different, very precise injection procedures using these kinds of cells to heal various things, everything from shoulder labral tears to hip labral tears to meniscus, et cetera. So there's an entire nonprofit educational system that they can get engaged with in order to learn how to do this correctly. Awesome. I'll make sure I link to your website in the show notes so people can find that. Are there any negative side effects to adult stem cell therapy that someone could anticipate if they ever have this kind of a treatment? Yeah, right now uh, we've published the world's largest safety paper uh, last year. It was on uh, 2,372 patients, more than 3,000 procedures that we had done up to 2014. And the side effects uh, or complications of these procedures were really no different than other injection-based uh, procedures and, and much, much less than surgery. So at this point, 
you know, things like soreness from the injection site, um, soreness from the injection of cells, uh, swelling in the area, uh, those are, are common complications, but dramatically less than the, you know, the surgeries that, that these procedures help patients avoid. That's fascinating. Definitely something I wish I could have told my sister-in-law about those years ago when she had her surgery. I'm curious what you think um, we'll see in the future as far as stem cell research and other applications, because obviously it's working in orthopedics. Are there other areas where you think it has promise as well? Oh, yeah. There's there's so much going on right now with regard to research, uh, treatment for heart failure. Um, uh, there was a big study that came out last week showing uh, very good efficacy for this, treating for neuro, uh, treatment for neurodegenerative diseases like uh, Alzheimer's, treatment for COPD, lung disease, uh, those sorts of things. So many, many different studies are showing good promise for this kind of therapy. And, and what we're seeing with this kind of therapy is it's not a panacea. It's got to be used in the right patients in the right ways. But when it's used in the right patients in the right ways, it can be very helpful in conditions that really don't have good options right now. I'm surprised to hear you say Alzheimer's, which would indicate it could be used even in the brain or in the heart. Are there areas of the body that you would not want to use stem cells? You know, at this juncture, I I think all of it is a possibility. I think in each area, it's got to be studied and shown to be helpful and and safe. Um, The good news is that adult stem cells have a very robust safety profile. So I think on the safety side, it's unlikely that we'll see big issues. But again, everything's different. As an example, um, early on when they started using stem cells to treat heart conditions, they were applying them the wrong ways and, and seeing some side effects that had to do with arrhythmias, meaning irregular heart beat. Now, once they figured out how to use them correctly, they didn't see that anymore. But it's like anything else. In each area, it's going to have to be studied and, and it's going to have to, you know, the physicians doing that work are going to have to learn through uh, research or trial and error. That makes sense. So um, for anyone listening, especially if they're listening in a car and don't have access to um, the show notes, which all of this information, everything you talked about will be in the show notes at wellnessmama.fm. But where can people find your your work specifically and your website? You mentioned it, but can you mention it again? Yeah, it's uh, www.regenex, R-E-G-E-N-E-X-X, two X's at the end, dot com. And uh, there uh, you can find information about the different kinds of treatments we do. Uh, I've got a blog with about 2,400 posts. I blog every day on uh, these kinds of topics. And in addition to that, uh, there's also books that you can download on this, uh, lots of videos about various procedures, uh, uh, those sorts of things. And then obviously an entire map of where we have providers uh, so that you can try to find someone that's, that's close to you. Awesome. Well, Dr. Chris, thank you for your time. It's definitely fascinating, and I'm so curious to see where the future of this research goes, and hopefully you guys will continue to get more awareness about this so this becomes a more viable treatment option in a lot of places. Thank you for being here. Okay. Thank you so much, Katie. And thanks to all of you for listening, and I'll see you next time on the Healthy Moms Podcast. If you're enjoying these interviews, would you please take two minutes to leave a rating or review on iTunes for me? Doing this helps more people to find the podcast, which means even more moms and families can benefit from the information. I really appreciate your time and thanks as always for listening.